Open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. It's a joy to be at Southwest Baptist Church. It's a joy to be able to stand and speak. I've lived with women my entire life. I had a mother. I had two sisters. I married me a woman wife. I think this crowd is okay with that. But for those that are watching on TV today, you might be struggling on which way to go. I just want to be on record that I married me a woman wife and I thank God I married me a woman wife. I've been on men's retreats and shared a room with seven other men. And when I came home, I got on my hands and knees and I told Lori, I said, I don't know what a woman sees in a man, but I thank God I got me a woman wife. Hallelujah. And then we had five baby girls in five years. We had four weddings in 19 months. And now we have 11 grandchildren that visit our home at Christmas. And I tell our church the prettiest lights at Christmas are the taillights of our children pulling out of the driveway. So when you've lived with women your entire life and you get an opportunity to speak, wow. (laughs) So this may take longer. I noticed you have more nursery workers today, 35 of them. That usually means there's a lot more kids on this Sunday or the speaker speaks longer. I know what that answer is. I'm going to commence reading in verse number 35. Though verse one really sets the tone for the entire chapter. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray. So we'll pick up in verse number 35 to see what prayer can do. And it came to pass that as he, Jesus, was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David. Have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. I want to draw your attention to five words tucked in verse number 41. Lord, that I may receive. And today I want to teach and preach a little bit from this text on the subject of asking God for a miracle. Now, folks, our country needs a miracle. And the reason why our country needs a miracle is because our churches need a miracle. We in this room would collectively agree that America needs revival. But the first revival in Scripture, recorded in Scripture, didn't take place in a nation nor in a church, but in a home. And until we see our families get right with God, our churches are going to struggle. And until our churches get revived, our country is doomed. Judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. 
If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Problem is not in the White House. The answer is not in the White House. But in the church house. So today I'm going to do my best to teach and preach a little bit about prayer. Ian Bounds said prayer can do anything God can do. It's just that nobody believes that. And today our churches are so well organized. So exact in detail. So polished in our preaching. That we can actually have church without the presence of God. You know I speak the truth. In Revelation 3, Jesus is knocking at the door, not of a heart, but of a local New Testament, fundamental, independent, narrow-minded, King James only, red-letter edition, no fun Baptist church. But they had their act together so well, they enjoyed church without the presence or the power of God. God, help us to humble ourselves and pray. Father, I'm going to do the best I can to teach and preach your word this morning. And it will be heard by an eternal bound audience. There's likely some people here today that are just one heartbeat from hell. And though they have a strong interest in you and, and knowledge about you, and even some desires to know you, they do not know what it is to be saved. So we pray today that you would open their eyes to where they can clearly see and understand the gospel and be saved today. And for your people, particularly the members of this wonderful church, oh God, help us to be known for what you want us to be known for. That this house would be called the house of prayer. I pray that you would work a miracle in our midst today. And may we leave the better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. From this account this morning, there are five components that I want to point out that will help all of us step up our prayer life. Most of us do not like things that we're no good at. If I ask a man, do you like to play golf? And he says, no, that's a stupid sport. What he is confessing to me is he stinks at golf. <laughs> and when you stink at something, you think it's a waste of time, a waste of money and a waste of energy. And you even pick up momentum to criticize it, those that are actually good at it. Though none of us are going to stand and say that prayer is stupid, you'd be amazed at how many of our churches are filled with people that pray less than an hour of week. When Jesus went to the garden that night on the eve of his crucifixion, he took his three closest friends, knowing the day ahead of him, knowing the task at hand. And he asked his three closest friends to pray for him. And when he came back, folks, you know the account and you know his words. What? You couldn't pray an hour? And yet I suggest that many of God's people, even today, struggle at praying an hour. We need to step it up. We don't need just to wave our Bibles. We don't need to just look right, smell right, and talk right. Those are important, yes. 
But the truth is we need the power of God in our personal lives, in our home, and in our churches today. The church has lost its savor and we're being trodden under by the foot of men. And we are actually crying out, there's no hope, but there is. And all of us need to be reminded the prayers that break through the prayers that get answered, the prayers that can change the eternal destiny of thousands, the prayers that will see the miraculous. God's not gotten so old that he can't reach out to your circumstances. He's not gotten so old that his ears are filled with wax and he can't hear your requests. There's a problem separating us and Christians are way too easy to give in and say, well, it just must not be God's will. Let's get about the work of prayer. My dad used to say often, prayer is the hardest work I know. And it may be the very reason why this generation of Christian would rather do anything but the work of prayer. Do you need a miracle? I have a hunch many of you do. Some of your homes need a miracle. Some of you are just asking grace to help get through when in reality, we need a miracle to change it. And so let's learn from this blind man. How did he get a miracle? He was a nobody. He didn't have notoriety in the town. He didn't have any position. He certainly had no money. He's begging for some. Who's this nobody? How does he get an audience with God? How does he get a miracle performed? Well, if you're a student of the word, you'll know that I'm not exaggerating to say that most miracles in the Bible were performed on behalf of common, ordinary people which includes most of us. And so let's look at some things in the text today. First of all, we need to pray with passion. We need to be passionate when we pray. Here's the blind man. Envision it if you're able. He's sitting on the outside of Jericho. He's sitting by the wayside. He's begging, hoping to get some money so that he can pay for his livelihood. He hears a crowd, which is easy to do out in the open air. He hears a multitude coming by and he asks about what's going on. What's what's all the excitement? Why so many people walking together and someone informs him that Jesus is in the midst. Now, the text doesn't say, but I think most of us understand the scriptures well enough that somewhere along his lifetime, he was taught the Old Testament scriptures. He was taught the prophecies of the coming Messiah. He knew the word of God because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when he heard that Jesus was in the midst, he cried out to him, Jesus! Thou son of David. He couldn't even see him, folks. He took the word of a witness that Jesus was nearby. He took a shot in the dark. Have mercy on me. And his disciples, they they tried to hush him up. Don't, 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 don't cause any distractions. Don't call, call attention to yourself. Well, before we criticize the disciples, I would fall into that category. I like things done decently and in order. And I'm not OCD, folks, so don't falsely accuse me. But if I was, I'd at least get it in alphabetical order. But the disciples, they like organization and structure and they try to hush them up and say, hey, wait a minute. We'll let you know when it's time to pray. But for crying out loud, Jesus is here. He's going to speak. So don't be speaking when he's going to be speaking. I remember on numerous occasions when I'm preaching, people start coming to the altar and it throws the preacher off. I mean, we get in a rhythm after a while. I mean, we're, 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 we're serious about what we're preaching. And then someone walks to the aisle. Are they trying to hint to me the sermon's too long? Are they trying to say it's time to wrap it up? 
Well, brother, it's not going to help. I'm going to preach it even more. And then there's more coming to the altar. And before long, it it just throws me off. And God says, I think they got the message. Why don't you just close it up? (laughs) The disciples, we're going to listen to what Jesus said. Hey, he'd been waiting for the coming of Jesus. And so he called out unto him. One of the problems that most of us have Not all of us, but many, if not most of us, in praying is insincere praying. We have a prayer list. We have our devotion time, 7 o'clock, 7.15, not a minute shorter, not a minute longer. We have a prayer list, check, 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 done, gone. And if we're not careful... We will pray without sincerity. There's no passion. The Bible says he cried. The word cry simply means to raise a strong, high voice, imploring help. That's passion, folks. I mean, we pray, but our heart's not in it. Our mind is thinking seriously. Our mouth is stating facts, but our heart is not in it. There's definitely a sincere need but we're not praying sincerely. There's a, a definitely a sincere desire, but we're not praying sincerely. And I have found that the longer you're a Christian, the easier it is to pray insincere prayers. I've been walking with Jesus now for over five decades. Hard to believe. And I have found that it's real easy to pray without sincerity because now I know how to word a prayer. Now I know how to express myself. Now I know how to pray a prayer that would maybe impress those that are listening other than God. And if I get real desperate to take it up a notch, I can quote scripture to God in case he forgot. You know what God calls that kind of praying? Vain repetitions. The word vain just simply means empty. There's no passion in it. Prayer must mean something to us. If it's going to mean anything to God. We need to pray with passion. And when we don't pray with passion, we're not being honest With God. Honest praying, sincere praying has feeling with our innermost being erupted. Jeremiah 29, 13, you know the verse, and ye shall seek me and find me, circle the next word, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Half-hearted praying does not find miracles. And too many Christians are quick to settle for second best. God has a way to help us pray with passion. He knows how valuable prayer is in our lives and he allows this thing called pain to come into our life because people tend to pray with more passion when they're hurting. If your marriage is suffering, you'll pray with passion. If your children or grandchildren are suffering, you'll pray with more passion. If you're hurting financially, you tend to pray with more passion. And I have found over the years that people usually handle pain one of two ways. They'll either hate habitually or they will pray passionately. You'd be amazed at how many people in the house of the living God that the source of energy in their life is actually hate from a hurt in their life. The energy that to even serve God is not really from the power of God, but from the energy of hate from a hurt that they have in their past. That's why we're reminded to not be weary in well-doing because 
When we're weary and well-doing, it's like a yellow light flashing indicating we're serving God in the energy of the flesh. Because when we're filled with the Spirit, whew, it'll overcome the weakness of the flesh. You know I speak the truth. You've been too tired to go to church. You went anyway. And you left feeling, whoo, 20 years younger. I'm saying today we need to pray with passion. That's why some people, they give up on their marriage. They give up on their children. They give up on their church and brothers and sisters in Christ. They've already made plans for failure rather than praying for a miracle. If there's no appointed time for prayer, soon there'll be no time at all for prayer. The songwriter said, take time to be holy. Why? It takes time. We need to pray with passion. Secondly, we need to pray with persistence. Look in verse 39. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace, but he cried so much the more. Don't quit praying. Keep praying passionately until God performs the miraculous. He's determined the crowd, the majority could not stop him. He cried even louder when, when it seemed like the circumstances and the people around him were discouraging it. He just said, I'm going to reach out to God. I don't care what happens, what men can do to me. I know that God is able to deliver me. Are you relentless when you pray? Or do you just forget about it and settle for what you can pull off? We must learn not to quit too soon. People do what they want to do. You want the power of God, you know how to get it. We just pray for it. The Bible says in Colossians 4, 2, continue in prayer. I had a man come to me, one of my good men. He wasn't being sarcastic. It wasn't mean. He, I think he's actually inquiring. He said, preacher, why do we have to constantly pray over and over and over again? Does God forget what we pray? And I said, I don't know that I can answer that for God, but I can quote him. He just says, continue in prayer. The Bible says, ask in Matthew 7, 7. And the verb tense is to continue asking. Ask and you shall receive. Seek, keep on seeking and you shall find. Knock, keep on knocking and it shall be opened unto you. If God says it, it's good enough for me. There's nothing wrong with trying to find an understanding, but I'm not going to limit the power of God until I do understand. If God is happy with me asking for things from him, if he if he's happy to hear my stupid voice and my ignoramus voice and my uh, uneducated voice, I don't know why God would enjoy that. But if that's what he wants, then that's what I'm going to do. We need to pray. Persistently. We had a lady in our church. We allowed to walk down there. Every now and then I get a little antsy. Well, and you got the um, triune back there. It's scary. I'm going to hang out with you guys. We had a lady in our church. Her name was Joy. I mean, and she lived, she was the personification of her name. Everybody loved her. I mean, the kids loved her. The adults loved her. Everybody loved her. She was like the Pied Piper in our church to children. She'd walk in, all the kids would just go to her. They loved her. She had a great children's ministry and us old folks, we, or older folks, we enjoyed her too. And really the only negative that I can ever remember of Joy was that she was old. <laughs> you know, she must have been in her mid-60s. You know, when you're 30, anybody over 40 looks like they're constantly looking at the graveyard. <laughs> One step away. And, 
enjoy. That's the only, but I mean, for an old person, she was awesome to hang around with. She was always so encouraging. She could bring out the best in just about anybody. And I bring that to your attention because I want to share her testimony and her testimony might seemingly contradict that image that you might develop in your mind. Wednesday nights, we always start our service with, an imp- with a, more of a personal time where the church can ask questions of the pastor. You know, like, are, are you glad that the Cleveland Indians um, swept the series this weekend, beating, uh, who'd we beat, Tampa Bay Rays? Now, I know some of you are saying Indians, they're, that's offensive here in Oklahoma. Uh, aren't they called the Guardians? Yeah, you've been watching way too much TV. <laughs> They'll always be the Cleveland Indians to real baseball fans. Hallelujah. Amen. And so how was your corn on the cob? And uh, is your exercise, pro- you know, stupid personal questions that people seem to like to know about. And, and uh, you know, but I was always nervous about it. I was always afraid they're going to ask how me and Lori were getting along. And that was volatile. And so I... <clears throat> I tried to get them to focus on the spiritual. I'd say, anybody have any comments, questions, or testimonies? And uh, Joy raised her hand. She stood and she said, Pastor, I need someone to pray for my husband. He's a mean old man. He needs God in his life. He needs to get saved. And I'm telling you, I don't think there's a college, a Christian college in the country that teaches you how to handle random prayer requests because the whole audience went like, I don't know if that caught you, but if I would say to you as a church, I need you to pray for my wife. She's a mean old woman. That would be my last public prayer request. I would ever make. (laughs) And so when Joy, who is known to be such a happy, upbeat, encouraging, exhorting saint, she's, her husband's a mean old man. We're all like stunned. And and I could feel the blood rushing up into my head. And and I'm looking to my church. I said, well, come on, church. You know, Joy, uh, can I get someone to pray for her husband, Willard? He needs to get saved. And you know, Sometimes churches are filled with hypocritical members. They're there to pray that night. And I couldn't get one stinking person to raise their hand to pray for Willard that night. They were leaving me out there to hang by myself. (laughs) So finally I called on Lee. I said, Lee, would you pray pray for Willard? And then someone told me after the service, Lee wasn't even in the service that night. So Willard didn't get saved as a result. The next Wednesday night, anybody have any comments, questions, or testimonies? And she raises her hand. I'm thinking, no, not again. She stood, preacher, I need someone to pray for my husband, Willard. He's a mean old man. He needs God in his life. He needs to get saved. And I said, no, folks, I'm trying to defend her character. You know, she's a godly woman. You know, everybody loves her. She must have a real passion for her husband to be saved. Could I get someone to pray for Willard tonight? And nobody raised their hand again. I'm just a young pastor and I'm ready to shoot half of my church. So finally, Lee was there and I got him to pray. The following week, I met Joy at the, out the door at the Narthex. And I'm greeting people as they come in. And Joy comes in. I said, hi, Joy. Did Willard get saved this week? No. Would you like me to ask the church to pray for him? Yes. He's a mean old man. Yeah, I said, I know. He needs God. He needs to get saved. I'll ask the church to pray for him. And so that night I said, well, before we have any comments, questions, or testimonies, I was chatting with Joy out in the narthex and she, she indicated that Willard still needs to be saved. So could I get someone? And there were a half a dozen hands that were raised. Now the pressure's off. Now they're willing to pray for Willard. So we got several people willing to pray for Willard. Anybody have any comments, questions, or testimonies? Joy raised her hand. 
She stood and she said, Pastor, I know we've got some people praying for Willard, but I need the whole church to pray for Willard. He's a mean old man. He needs God in his life. He needs to get saved. I'm telling you right then and there, I said, I'm going to Willard's house tomorrow and win him to Christ. I can't take this another week. I drove over to Willard's house the next day and went into his home. I'm not making this up. This is just too, reality's too good. I went into his house and sat down and chatted with Willard. I got to tell you, he and I hit it off just like that. I mean, we were best buds within 60 seconds. I liked the guy. I mean, yeah, he was mean and he was old. He was, uh, he obviously needed God. <laughs> But we had the same opinion of politics and philosophy and just life in general. And I mean, we're, we're buddies. We're just brothers from another mother. I'm telling you, we hit it off. And, and in fact, his language sometimes was offensive, but it was actually an encouragement because he could say things that I'm not allowed to say. And, but I, I meant I agreed with the passion he was saying it with. Hallelujah. And after a while, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, Bruce, you're just enjoying this a little too much. You didn't come here to make a friend. You came here to tell Willard he needs me. Amen. And so I, sat, I said, oh, Willard, uh, hey, I've really enjoyed getting to meet you. I had a whole different picture of who you might be. I mean, this is amazing. I have really enjoyed our time together. And I was just wondering if I could talk to you about God for a little bit and your relationship with Jesus Christ. And he looked like someone stuck him with a needle of Botox. His face just went numb. There was no smile. There was no sadness. There was no, no emotion. I mean, he was just numb. And now I'm panicking. I'm a young pastor. I'm panicking. Oh, no. What have I done? I've ruined it. I, I've messed this up. I, he, he's never going to get saved. I'm such an idiot. What will I do? Joy's going to get up next week and tell the whole church, I blew it. Now her husband's going to hell faster because of me. <laughs> and so I, I'm trying to, to talk my way out of it. And I, Willard, oh, my word. It, do you know what time? I got to get going, Willard. Hey, I'll come back another time. But I really appreciate it. And I got up and I left his house. I felt really, really a total failure. Next week, I need someone to pray for my husband. He's a mean old man. He needs God in his life. He needs to be saved. Well, you know, pastors have to get used to a lot of wackos when they're pastoring. So I got used to her. But about a couple months later, she called me and said, Pastor Willard's in the hospital. Would you go see my husband? I said, yes. I love making hospital visits. You got a captive audience. They're not going very far, very fast. <laughs> so I went to the hospital and there he was. And I mean, Susan, hey, Willard, how's it going? I mean, he lit up, I lit up. We're talking like two long life friends. It's amazing how well we hit it off. We're laughing and cutting up. And finally, God said, hey, 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 you remember why you're here? Oh. I said, Willard, man, the other day when I was at your house, I, I thought I offended you, man. I, I surely wouldn't offend you. But, you know, I've been praying for you. I'm concerned about your eternal destiny. I, I, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your relationship with God. And, and if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, would that be okay? And that same look came on his face. Only this time, he, he worked his way out of bed and he, he grabbed that pole. You know, the pole in the hospital that has bags hanging on it with lines, bringing whatever they bring into your body, voodoo juice or whatever it is in there. And, and he, he grabbed the pole and he just started pulling it, walking away. His gown's flapping in the wind. I didn't need that. And he's walking into the bathroom and he shuts the door. He's in there, I'm guessing at least 15 minutes. And he's waiting me out. He's waiting for me to leave. I said, okay, Willard, I'll catch you another time. 
I stood there and waited. He had eyes underneath that door. He knew I was still there. Finally, I did leave. I got to the point where joy was becoming a source of non-joy for me. Every time she'd raise her hand, it was just almost annoying. His name's on the list. What more do you want? We're praying for him. A couple months later, she calls me and says, Pastor Willard's in the hospital again. Would you go see him? I, I'm convinced God is going to save him today. I've been up praying for hours and I know God is going to save him today. Would you go see him? And at this point, it was just, she caught me at a bad time. I said, Joy, I'm busy this morning. I've got appointments all morning long and in the early afternoon. And I know it amazes you church people to think that preachers actually work during the week. But I'm busy today. I can't go today. She said, Pastor, God's going to save him today. You need to go this morning. I said, Joy, you didn't hear me. I can't. I'm busy. But I'll tell you what, I'll be sure to go there tomorrow morning. She said, Pastor, I need you to go there now. I know God's going to save him. I'll see you there. Click. And she hung up on me. <laughs> oh, old people. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm moaning. I can't believe it. Just because I'm a young preacher doesn't mean I'm any less of a preacher. How's come people order me around like I'm a little bus boy? I'm the man of God. They shouldn't be treating me like that. Now I've got to cancel all these other important meetings and I've got to go see Willard again and all he's going to do is show himself and go to the bathroom and I'm going to be stuck out there wasting all this time. I called all those people, canceled the meetings and I'm driving down Kedzie Avenue to South Suburban Hospital and all the way there I'm telling God, God, I'm going to preach the fire out of him. I'm going to tell him he's, he's a mean old man. He needs God in his life. He needs to get saved and, and hell is hot and he's going to burn extra hot for taking time out of my day today. I'm ticked off. Now, I know some of you are surprised. Are preachers ever like that? Well, other than yours, yes. So I get to South Suburban Hospital and there's Joy. Pastor! Oh, brother. Man, when you're mad, you don't want to be around happy people. <laughs> Pastor! I'm so glad you came. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'm here too. And Pastor, let's pray. Uh, I've been praying the whole way here. I'm ready. I'm ready to meet Willard. Pastor, I want to pray before you go up. Okay. And she comes over and she's from the South. You know how Southerners are. They got to hug you. And I send her, okay, get it out of your system. <laughs> Pastor, pray. Oh, no, you go ahead and pray. I've prayed all, I'm, I'm prayed up, sister. <laughs> Pastor, I want to hear you pray. Okay, let's pray. Dear God, and God's laughing at me. Okay, big boy, let's hear how you pray. And in that time that I'm praying a prayer that would be palatable for her to hear, God is dealing with me. I don't know how God can do that because it's only nanoseconds. He's working in my heart. And while I'm praying for her husband to get saved, I'm also praying that I'd get my heart right. And I softened and actually have compassion for a moment and pray and get in the elevator. As I'm going up the elevator, I start rehearsing all the negativity, you know, like you do. I can be spiritual one moment and mean in another. And so I'm thinking, you know, this really is getting way out of hand. Willard just needs to, he just needs to be told. I'm tired of being nicey-nicey, brucey-woosey to, to him. He's going to see another side of me. I get out of the elevator and I walk in his room and, hey, Willard, how's it going? Let me just stop right there. I don't care how's it going. I came here to talk to you about the Lord. Is that okay? And he said, yes, sir. And that made me mad. 
because I think he's trying to speed it up to get me out of here. I said, did you hear what I said? I'm here to talk to you about the Lord. I'm here to talk about your eternal destiny. I'm here to talk about your relationship with God Almighty. Is that okay with you? He said, yes, sir. Well, I'm going to open the Bible and read it to you. Is that okay? Yes, sir. I can't believe it. It's just fueling the energy here. And so I went through Romans 3, 10, 23. You know how the scriptures go. There is none righteous. You know what that means, Willard? There is none righteous. No, not one. You know what the no, not one is? That's for you. Because <laughs> you're going to agree with me, but that nobody does right. But God just wants to make sure you understand. Not even you, big boy. You don't do anything right. Do you believe that? And he said, yes, sir. I said, well, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus Christ. No matter how good you try, you're never going to, you're never going to reach the mark of perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? He said, yes. I said, but God commended his love toward us. I mean, it's hard to preach about the love of God gritting your teeth, but I did it. But God commended his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you, Willard. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for your sins. Not because you deserve it. You deserve hell. That's what Romans 6.23 says. I went through the whole Romans road. I said, do you understand that? He said, yes, sir. I said, would you, you understood everything? Do you, do you agree with it? Yes, sir. I didn't believe him. I went back to Romans 3.10 and I did Romans Road three times. I was in the worst frame of mind that, I've, that I can remember ever being dealing with a lost person. I don't know, I don't remember all the circumstances, I just remember my bad attitude. So finally, I said, Willard, would you like to be saved? He said, yes. So would you like me to pray with you and kind of guide you in a prayer? Would you like to pray on your own? He said, I'd like to pray on my own. And Willard prayed. I wasn't the only one that had given him the gospel. Joy had. And he prayed a sinner's prayer far better than most of us could word one. He began to weep and ask God to forgive him of his horrible, sinful life. And then he was done. And I said, Willard, that's great. I'm so glad you got saved. But in my mind, I still doubted whether or not he meant it. I've led hundreds of people to Christ. I'm not bragging. I'm stating a fact. Hundreds of people to Christ. And it brings me great joy, almost equivalent to the day of my own personal salvation. When I lead someone to Christ, I'm, I'm floating in the clouds. It's Amen. But that day, I had my doubts. Went down the lobby and joy. Pastor, did he get saved? I said, well, normally I'd be saying, hallelujah, glory to God, he did. My best response I could work up was, well, he prayed a sinner's prayer. Hallelujah, I knew he was going to get saved. I just knew he was going to get saved. Following Wednesday night, I stand before my church. Anybody have any comments, questions, or testimonies? Joyce raised her hand, stood, and I thought to myself, uh-huh, I knew it all along. I knew Willard didn't get saved. He was just getting me out of the room. Joy began to weep. She said, I want to praise God tonight. Willard got saved. And I mean, he got really saved. And for the first time in 35 years, he told me he loved me. He's been reading his Bible every day and praying. He's a changed man. And I just want to thank God for saving my husband. 
I want to thank my church for praying. And in church, we're so we're so blessed to have the pastor that we have. He's a soul winner. He, he takes time out of his day to, to go out and win souls for Jesus. And he went to the hospital and he led my husband to the Lord. And the more positive things she said about me, the smaller I felt. I don't know what motivated me to do so, but early in my adult life, I started writing down the names of people that I've led to Christ and the date. And if I got to witness their baptism, I'd put that date in there as well. In Bible number three, you know, after a while you get a new Bible because the other one's all marked up. Bible number three in the back of the Bible, you'll read Willard J. Landreth. He's in heaven this morning. But he's not in heaven because of a great soul winning pastor. He's in heaven because he had a wife that prayed. Are you listening? He had a wife who most of you, well, that might be a judgment. Many of you would have encouraged her to seek a divorce. God didn't intend for you to be miserable in marriage. You need to dump the guy. And folks, I don't mean he was just a mean man. He had her committed to an insane asylum to get her out of the home. So he wouldn't have to listen to her talk about Jesus. The man was a mean old man. She wanted God's best. And she wanted to see a miracle. And she was willing to pay, pray passionately and persistently because she knew the will of God. She knew the word of God. And when you know the will of God and the word of God, which by the way, they're the same. When you know that, you can pray with confidence knowing that God will hear and answer prayer. But today in America, we're pragmatic. We serve God and we pull it off for him. Well, how's it worked for us? How's your home? How's your kids home? I would suggest to you when Ian Bounds said prayer can do anything God can do, he was not exaggerating. But most of us don't want to wait. We want what we want when we want it. And we sacrifice the miraculous for the menial. If America is going to ever experience revival. If a church is ever going to experience a continual manifestation of God's power. It will be when his people humble themselves. Yes, kneeling is an outward expression of the inward heart. We should kneel, but unsaved people kneel. Muslims do five times a day. I've been in Catholic churches. They do numerous times throughout their service right there in their pews. Humble ourselves. And that could be a problem for many of us. Because we don't think we're a part of the problem. We think everybody else is the problem. If Isaiah, who was the premier prophet of the Old Testament, 
who is faithful in preaching. Woe unto thee, woe unto thee, caught a glimpse of God and realized, woe is me. Then Bruce Humbert, who can't touch the hem of his robes, probably is not as good as he thinks he is. I'm saying, church, we've done too much in the energy of the flesh. Maybe with good intentions, because you do love God. But God would rather show himself strong on your behalf. He'd love to do something miraculous that would blow the minds of not only this people, but even our country. My house shall be called the house of preaching. I don't think so. My house shall be called the house of singing. We like it. God wants his house to be known for prayer. Because that's where the power lies. That's where the miraculous is experienced. So I'm going to ask this church today. I got a few more thoughts, but you know, and I know we're already lunchtime. But you and I have both heard enough from the Spirit to respond to God. So let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken to you, you ought to be polite enough to come and speak to Him. And I'd find my way to an altar, either here in the front or where you're seated, somewhere. And I'd humble myself before Him and I would pray and I'd say, Oh God, help me. Help me to learn to pray. Help me, oh God, to make time to learn to pray. Help me, oh God. I need a miracle. Father, I've done the best I can. And in my assessment, it seems it's never good enough. But I do know that it's not by my might or my power, it's by thy spirit that anything of eternal value will take place. So Father, please work in us. Do something miraculous in our midst, in our hearts, in our home, in our church, even our country. In Jesus' name, amen. You come as the Spirit of God directs.